Appamata and its programs are supported by your generosity and your generosity and support makes such a difference. You can find a link for contributions on the website at appamata.org. Thank you. So this morning, uh, we're going to spend some time with one of the chants that's in the chant book at Appamata, the Genjo Koan by Dogen Zenji. Um, but before we get started, I wanted to say thank you to um, our teachers, Pag and Flint, Joel, Lori, Todd. Um, and I wanted to say thank you to everybody that's here. That's uh, a great honor to be able to spend some time talking about my understanding of the Dharma. Um, and to spend some time with the Genjo Koan, particularly um, whenever I've prepared for a talk, I learn so much about the topic that I'm going to talk about, but I also learn so much about my own understanding of what that topic is. Um, and it helps to clarify my understanding of the Dharma. And I wanted to say also that the talk is really just about encouraging everyone in their practice, encouraging everyone to find their own way in the Dharma. I wanted to speak a little bit about my introduction to in relationship with the Genjo Koan. Um, I first heard the Genjo Koan many, many years ago. I was at Tassajara Mountain Monastery for the first time. And um, I was there for a workshop. And people that are in the workshops can go to the meditations during the day. So it was very early in the morning. And even though it was summer, it was very cold and dark. And we had just sat zazen for an hour and they passed out the chant books and everyone chanted. And one of the chants was the Genjo Koan. And it was the first time that I heard it. And I was struck by how beautiful it was, um, how poetic. I really love poetry and this was uh, a description of something without trying to explain it, uh, without trying to have me understand it. It was, uh, it was like a poem. And there are several lines of the Genjo Khan that I remember even from that first time that um, I won't say they're little mantras of beauty. They're not so much things I say when I'm in a particular situation, but just things that I remember that um, bring the Dharma to mind, bring my practice to mind, and bring the beauty of those things to mind. Um, 
So my idea for this morning was that we should all participate in reading the Genjo Koan, um, which I know is a little fiddly because the people that I see on the screen are not in the same order for everybody. But I'm gonna ask Maria, our monitor, to call on people in the order she sees them. Um, I guess I would ask that people that are willing to read a section of the chant, that they raise their hand uh, when a new section comes up and Maria can choose from those people because I, I'm aware that not everyone is going to want to do this. Um, but I think for my ease, we'll start with the people here and then Maria will go to the people online um, that have their hands raised. Does that make sense? Will that work, do you think? Yes, that sounds good. Yeah. Okay, great. So before we get started, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, the name Genjo Koan. And I'm, most of my source is coming from um, lectures by the late Sojin Mel Weitzman that uh, there's a wonderful website that I can put up later that has transcriptions of many different Dharma teachers talks and I found this on that website he has a series of four talks that are that are strictly about the Genjo Koan and his commentaries about that and I was I really like his teaching and and um, his commentaries are understandable to me and follow the spirit of the Genjo Koan to me don't try to break everything down and um, really go into minute detail of things, but really stays with the spirit of the whole piece. So Sojin Mel Weitzman says that um, Genjo is a word in Japanese that is translated variously or as manifesting now or emerging immediately, arising right now. And koan can be broken down into the two uh, words, ko and an. And ko meaning something like equality, and an meaning something like difference. So ko would be still and on would be active, and ko would be even and continuous, and on would be particular. So he describes it as ko being horizontal and on being vertical. Um, so the various translations of the title from Genjo Koan to English from various different teachers are the realization koan, the issue at hand, the issue of life, or actualizing the fundamental point. So 
um, this makes it pretty, it's pretty, uh, it's a pretty big um, piece there. Uh, the issue of life, I like that one. Um, and another reason I wanted to delve into this was that uh, the author, Dogen Zenji, is our, our um, founder from Japan in the Soto Zen sect. And this is one of his most famous and revered writings. Um, Sojin says that he, uh, this is probably the most fundamental of the fascicles in his collection of writings called the Shobogenzo. And so this is a good thing for Soto Zen students to be familiar with. So I think I'll go ahead at that and give myself the honor of reading the first bit of the Genjo Koan. And then if everybody here is, is willing, have everybody read a, a section. And then we'll go to folks online. Genjo Koan, actualizing the fundamental thing. As, as all things are Buddha Dharma, there is realization, there is delusion and realization, practice and birth and death. And there are Buddhas and sentient beings. As the myriad things are without an abiding self, there is no delusion, no realization, no Buddha, no sentient beings, no birth and death. The Buddha way is basically leaping clear of the many and the one. Thus, there are birth and death, delusion and realization, sentient beings and Buddhas. Yet, in attachment, blossoms fall, and in aversion, weeds spread. Anne, shall I share this now? Shall I share the koan now? Thank you, thank you very much. Yes, I'm sorry, I forgot this piece. Yes, if you would share the script of the chant on the okay. screen and people will be able to read off that. Thank you. <clears throat> to carry yourself forward and experience myriad things is delusion. That myriad things come forth and experience themselves is awakening. Those who have great realization of delusion are Buddhas. Those who are greatly deluded about realization are sentient beings. Further, there are those who continue realizing beyond realization, who are in delusion throughout delusion. When Buddhas are truly Buddhas, they do not necessarily notice that they are Buddhas. However, they are actualized Buddhas who go on actualizing Buddhas. When you see forms or hear sounds fully engaging body and mind, you grasp things directly. Unlike things and their reflections in the mirror, 
and unlike the moon in its reflection in the water, when one side is illumined, the other side is dark. To study the Buddha way is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to be actualized by myriad things. When actualized by myriad things, your body and mind, as well as the bodies and minds of others, drop away. No trace of realization remains. This no trace continues endlessly. When you first seek Dharma, you imagine you are far away from its environs. But Dharma is already correctly transmitted. You are immediately your original self. When you ride in a boat and watch the shore, you might assume that the shore is moving. But when you keep your eyes closely on the boat, you can see that the boat moves. Similarly, if you examine myriad things with a confused body and mind, you might suppose that your mind and nature are permanent. When you practice intimately and return to where you are, it will be clear that nothing at all has unchanging self. So now we're going to go over to our online Sangha. So people can also the first person is Becky. And you're able to unmute yourself, Becky. Firewood becomes ash and it does not become firewood again. Yet do not despair to suppose that the ash is future and the firewood past. You should understand that firewood abides in the phenomenal expression of firewood, which fully includes past and future and is independent of past and future. Okay. Um, we now have Kathy. Ash abides in the phenomenal expression of ash, which fully includes future and past. Just as firewood does not become firewood again after it is ash, you do not return to birth after death. This being so, it is an established way in bundled dharma, I'm sorry, in Buddha dharma, <laughs> to deny that birth turns into death. Accordingly, birth is understood as no birth. It is an unshakable teaching in Buddha's discourse that death does not turn into birth. Accordingly, death is understood as no death. Birth is an expression complete, this moment. Death is an expression complete, this moment. They are like winter and spring. You do not call winter the beginning of spring, nor summer the end of spring. We have Claudine next. 
Enlightenment is like the moon reflected on the water. The moon does not get wet, nor is the water broken. Although its light is wide and great, the moon is reflected even in a puddle an inch wide. The whole moon and the entire sky are reflected in dewdrops on the grass or even in one drop of water. Enlightenment does not divide you, just as the moon does not break the water. You cannot hinder enlightenment, just as a drop of water does not hinder the moon in the sky. The depth of the drop is the height of the moon. Each reflection, however, long or short, its, its duration manifests the vastness of the dewdrop and realizes the limitlessness of the moonlight in the sky. Thank you. We have Nate next. When Dharma does not fill your whole body and mind, <clears throat> you think it is already sufficient. When Dharma fills your whole fills your body and mind, you understand that something is missing. For example, when you sail out in a boat into the middle of an ocean where no land is in sight and view the four directions, the ocean looks circular and does not look any other way. But the ocean is neither round nor square. Its features are infinite in variety. It is like a palace. It is like a jewel. It only looks circular as far as you can see at that time. All things are like this. Though there are many features in the dusty world and the world beyond conditions, you see and understand only what your eye of practice can reach. In order to learn the nature of the myriad things, you must know that although they may look round or square, the other features of oceans and mountains are infinite in variety. Whole worlds are there. It is so, it is so not only around you, but also directly beneath your feet or in a drop of water. Yeah, thank you. Rosemary. A fish swims in the ocean and no matter how far it swims, there is no end to the water. A bird flies in the sky, and no matter how far it flies, there's no end to the air. However, the fish and the bird have never left their elements. When their activity is large, their field is large. When their need is small, their field is small. Thus, each of them totally covers its full range, and each of them totally experiences its realm. If the bird leaves the air, it will die at once. If the fish leaves the water, it will die at once. Know that the water is life and the air is life. The bird is life and the fish is life. Life must be the bird and life must be the fish. It is possible to illustrate this with more analogies. Practice enlightenment and people are like this. Elizabeth. Now, if a bird or a fish tries to reach the end of its element before moving in it, this bird or this fish will not find its way or its place. When you find your place where you are, practice occurs, actualizing the fundamental point. When you find your way at this moment, practice occurs, 
actualizing the fundamental point for the place, the way is neither large nor small, neither yours nor others. The place, the way has not carried over from the past and is not merely arising now. Accordingly, in the practice enlightenment of the Buddha way, meeting, the one, meeting one thing is mastering it. Doing one practice is practicing completely. Lynn, Lynn Flock next. And I've, I've just unmuted you, Lynn. Here is the place the way unfolds. The boundary of realization is not distinct for the realization comes forth simultaneously with the mastery of Buddha Dharma. Do not suppose that what you realize becomes your knowledge and is grasped by your consciousness. Although actualized immediately, the inconceivable may not be apparent. Its appearance is beyond your knowledge. Thank you, we have Kate next. Zen Master Bausch of Mount Mayu was fanning himself. A monk approached and said, Master, the nature of wind is permanent and there is no place it does not reach. Why then do you fan yourself? We have Connie next. Oh, there you go. Sorry. Although you understand that the nature of the wind is permanent, Bausch replied, you do not understand the meaning of its reaching everywhere. And we have Darcy next. What is the meaning of its reaching everywhere? Asked the monk again. The master just kept fanning himself. The monk bowed deeply. The actualization of the Buddha Dharma, the vital path of its correct transmission is like this. If you say that you do not need to fan yourself because the nature of wind is permanent and you can have wind without fanning, you will understand neither permanence or the nature of wind. I think we might have lost Darcy temporarily, so I'll just finish the last sentence off. The nature of wind is permanent. Because of that, the wind of the Buddha's house brings forth the gold of the earth and makes fragrant the cream of the long river. Thank you all very much. We can take the screen back, yeah. So wonderful to hear everybody's voices doing this. Um, I really appreciate that. It really brings every individual to mind, which is very nice. Um, Kim, how much time do we have? It's, it's 2.28. Okay. 
Okay, so maybe another 15 minutes. Um, I hadn't really planned on uh, a breakout group or anything like that. I think I think we'll probably just stay in a large group. Um, and I don't, I personally don't want to talk with you about, <clears throat> you know, my particular feelings or my particular understanding of this piece. Um, for me, it's enough to read it and let it soak in, though I know at various times when I've read it, I try to understand, I try to um, figure out what does he mean when he says these two things that are completely opposite. No death. Birth is no birth. Death is no death. What does that mean? Um, and I take great comfort from his saying over and over again in this fascicle, don't, um, don't think that what you understand becomes your knowledge that you will not um, you will not engage and practice enlightenment with your rational mind. Though you're not trying to get rid of your rational mind, there is something else um, that he's speaking about. And poetry to me seems the perfect form for that. So I guess I wanted to open it up for people if they had particular thoughts or there was a particular line that struck you or um, if you've had your own experiences in the past or today with the Genjo Koan that you remember. Kim. Um, I don't remember reading the line. I think someone must have inserted it about Dogen. Um, or saying that Buddha, Buddha's discourses claimed that there was no birth that came from death, no rebirth, and mm. as we, as maybe the Vedic people took it, and and um, I'm curious how you take it. I, I can say it a little how I take that, and mm -hmm. that is just that it's continuous flowing of one thing to another. Um, when I first got in, attached to Buddhism, a, a friend uh, we went out to lunch and she said, but how are you going to deal with reincarnation? <laughs> and uh, that has kind of puzzled me, but it's, it's a very different, the way it's presented that we've been talking about it, I think here is more in terms of impermanence than it is in terms of uh, you die and then you go into another body and you know or the Dalai Lama story you know where you can identify past lives and things like that it's, it doesn't seem to be um, that specific so I'm just curious how you take it yeah this reading of it is much more difficult I think this refers back to the firewood and the ash too that don't suppose that one is the future and one is the past, but they're immediately themselves this moment. Um, that's very hard. That's a very hard concept. 
I mean, my rational mind does not like that at all. Um, and that there is birth and death, there is not birth and death. We think of birth as no birth. We think of death as no death. I think that's something that I hope that in time becomes a little more clear to me. Um, yeah, and I think it's more, to me, it's more subtle. It's beyond um, an understanding that you're, you die and there's a soul, there's something fixed. There's something permanent that goes on that my understanding from the Genjo Koan and also from reading the commentary by Sojin Roshi is that um, that's antithetical to Buddhism, that there is nothing permanent. There is nothing permanent. And it is like a flow, like he was saying, the ko of koan is even and continuous. And we live at that fundamental point, that point where ko and on intersect. And that's here, here practice occurs. Here you are yourself here without there being a self that goes to the next point. Yeah. Um, Claudine would like to say something. Maybe you're unmuted, yes. Claudine. That's it. And I, when you, I don't see an anymore on screen. Yeah. <laughs> ah, yes, I see you now. When you began with the Genjo Koan, you said that it was for you a practice reminder. It will, and <laughs> that is what I would like to understand because it's the second time maybe that I read this Genjo Koan and it's, it's quite a mystery for me. Mm. I don't want to understand it better. But I, under, I understood that it must flow inside and okay. But how does it remind you of the practice, please? Yeah, there's one particular line that um, I think it's a combination of just the sounds of the words together and the image in my mind that it creates is the depth of the drop is the height of the moon. Um, and it also brings to mind that first, for me, it brings to mind that first time I heard the Genjo Koan and the dark and the cold and the people and the lamplight and the chanting all going together. Um, but that, that saying, that one line, I try to understand it. I try to understand it. I think it re refers also to the, when the bird and the fish are in the air and the water, and their, um, their field is large, their field is small. And when you, you go far away, your field is large and vice versa, that 
if you're looking at a, the moon in a dew drop or a drop of water, everything is there. It's very small, it's very tiny, but everything is there. The entire, I think there's a line that he says that the entire loveliness of the moon and the entire, uh, the entire sky are there in that one drop. Uh, kind of like, uh, you know, seeing the world in a grain of sand. That, that kind of feeling that everything is right here. Nothing is left out. Nothing is missing. Everything is in each moment. Thank you. Joel. Um, we're sitting in Austin in the light of day, reading this out loud, but you evoke this beautiful image of sitting in the darkness by lamplight, people chanting. I'm wondering, could you, it, was it chanted in English? Yes, in, yes. In, they, much this translation? Or? Not exactly this translation, but yeah, very similar. May I ask if you would read a paragraph in the cadence was chanted? No, it's it's pretty much you know just the style of San Francisco Zen Center where you don't do a lot of inflection. Right. Um, let's see. I can do. A, I can read a little bit of it. Sure. If I can find it again. Page thirty-four. Thank you. Yeah, it's just basically like reading. I mean, it would be as all things are Buddha Dharma, there is delusion and realization, practice and birth and death. And there are Buddhas and sentient beings. As the myriad things are without an abiding self, there is no delusion, no realization, no Buddha, no sentient being, no birth and death. Thank you. Yeah. And I, I think- I had a lovely vision of you changing that in the darkness. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, I, I have another, I, I want to say my favorite part mm. is the, which I find very heartening and very, very um, uh, encouraging about practice. So, to carry yourself forward and experience myriad things as delusion. That thing, the myriad things come forth and experience themselves as awakening. Those who have great realization of delusion are Buddhas. Those who are greatly deluded about realization are sentient beings. I, I just love it. Yeah. The rest, you know, there's a, there's several other parts which seem like syllogistic reasoning of metaphysical points. Right. But then those are really hard to follow. <laughs> I know. Right. It, yeah. Yeah. And I. Yeah. But this part seems to speak directly. Exactly. Exactly. This one goes in. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it leads directly to to study the ways, to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to be actualized by myriad things. Right. Right. Yeah. To see yourself as other that than your surroundings that you're carrying this self 
forward and experiencing these myriad of other things is delusion. We have Becky. Thank you. Um, And thank you so much. Um, First of all, I'd like to say just now when you were discussing with Joel, you said, this one goes in. And I heard this one goes zen. And it was a, a wonderful moment for me to to convert that to start processing it and then and then sort of get it you know that, that that's that's what I heard so uh, the Dharma the Dharma comes for us in many ways <laughs> um, but I I particularly want to thank you because I when I when I read things when I study something etc. I usually don't do it in the way most people do. I, I carry on the way that I had up until I found our community, uh, which was what I call, like my, my spiritual practice was eclecticism. And I must say that, that my studies now often come that way too, which is that I have a pile of things beside me and whether it's that I have an extra two minutes before something starts or that I want to sit with something for a while before before I'm sitting with people, um, I just reach over and whatever my hand touches and then I open it up to wherever it is. And that's what I take in. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't come across this one before. I've read most of the chants and pages in the chant book, but I hadn't sat and read that one before Mm. and it's beautiful and you're right it is it is more poetic than many of the chants that we have that are from past times um Mm. that that i i just and it's it's magnificent in its way of of putting forth the things that we in our culture and in the way our minds have been taught up till now, that, or, you know, whenever we encounter it now, um, that, that it's the one that I think most beautifully and therefore not as jangly so much as just this is, mm-hmm. instead of, of this and not that and you know all of all of that part of it that the heart sutra and, and so on do right mm-hmm. um, and mm-hmm. and so it is it's beautiful it's yes. beautiful and yes. i just want to thank you so much for bringing it and for the form that you did for us to hear it together because because the dharma is weaving its way through all of our lives and then we, what we weave our lives together in the Dharma. So it's it's thank you for that part too. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for for your kind words. Yeah, that's that's wonderful. Uh, John has a hand raised.
you have to unmute yourself, Joan, because you've got your settings that way. If I click ask to unmute, does a box come up for you, Joan? To just tick. I think we're struggling to unmute, Joan. Let me read something while she's working on it real quick that really relates back to what Becky just said that Sojin Roshi wrote in his commentary. It says, we don't live in a vacuum. We live in relationship. When we engage things, when we turn the dharmas, we are in the assertive position and the dharmas are in the submissive position. When the dharma turns us, the dharmas are in the strong position and we are in the submissive position. And we have to know how to engage in each moment. It is selfless dharma play, turning with things and allowing ourselves to be turned by things, to drive the wave and ride the wave at the same time. Dancing with life, life creates me and I bring life to life. It's not a matter of which is delusion and which is enlightenment. This is how we practice as Zen students. We're not having any luck with Joan, but I'm sure what she had to say was absolutely wonderful. Yes. <laughs> Sparkling, really. <laughs> no. What you just said is very similar to the, the difference between I vow and this vow, mm. where the vow acts through you as opposed to something you do mm -hmm. in the Dharma. It's like that. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. Anyone else? Well, thank you all for for being here and for reading and for thinking and not thinking. Um, so I think we'll go ahead and do um, the rest of our service.